Hi, I'm here with Emmanuel Despax to talk about his new album, Après en Rêve, which has just come out today. Emmanuel, hello, how are you doing? Hello, I'm fine, thank you for having me. Is it Après or Après? I never quite understand how the elision works in French. So it's Après, but if it's followed by Un, then you would make uh, the après en rêve. Après en rêve, yes. Excellent, cool. Here we are. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's a fab album. I was listening to a little bit of it earlier this morning. It seems to have three bits to it, three um, things woven together. So there's um, the relationship with your grandfather through the poetry that he, I think you, you sort of bonded with him um, through that. There's the theme of sort of nighttime and evening-y um, pieces with that sort of vibe about them. And obviously there's also the French Belle Epoque. They're all composers of that era. Did one of those ideas come first and then you built the others on? Or was it always going to be this kind of thing in your head right from the off? Uh, no. So originally I, I had been wanting to record a French album uh based on around the Belle Epoque for a while. Um, and then as it progressed, I realized that a lot of the works that I loved and uh, had to be on, on the list uh, were inspired by the night. And so then I explored the idea further and, and then bec it became quite specific that I was going to, uh, it was going to evolve around that theme. And as things progressed, I uh, thought more and more about my grandfather and because it's sort of, you know, I was journeying back in mem memory lane uh, and because he loved his repertoire and I just had flashes of so many conversations we had about it. And so was he a musician himself or did he just enjoy listening to it? No, he was just a music enthusiast. Mm. Uh, he was a poet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but I mean, he had huge um, knowledge about music, a vast collection of LPs, uh, which he actually um, um, passed down to me after uh, his death. And um, you know, now it's really nice because when I play them, I, I think of him. And um, mm, yeah, yeah. And so he, we had many conversations about. We used to talk for hours about. Uh, uh, literature and music and art and politics and all sorts of things and uh, yeah so all these all these conversations kind of came back to me and then I decided uh, that I really wanted to pay tribute to him and to what he gave me uh, and uh, so I thought what better way to do this than to curate some poetry uh, of his and also by poets that he admired and loved and and to complement the music a little bit in the same way that, you know, a, a fine a bottle of wine can complement a, a meal. And so mm. hopefully this will guide the listener a little bit uh, through this nocturnal landscape. Um, and that's not to say it should limit one's imagination to be forced into something but it might just trigger at the beginning of something and and just help uh the listener uh, understand what this music could be about yeah you, you can certainly imagine somebody sort of listening with the poems in one hand reading them to kind of yeah. get into the, the spirit of the pieces um the, so the poems are they're not read on the recording but they're in the 
um, they're in the, the sleeve notes that come with it. Um, I, I was wondering, with that, it seems a little bit like the chicken and the egg. Did the, When you were putting together what was going to go on the album, did you think, I've got these pieces, what poems fit? Or did you think, I've got these poems, what pieces fit? Or, you know? Oh, not, a, not at all. So... Uh, not at all. So it was it was definitely music first, right? Okay. And then part of the reason also why I thought this would be um, a perfect fit was because already a significant amount of the music uh, was inspired by poetry. Uh, mm. So if you yeah. take Ravel's Gaspard de la Nuit, which is inspired by Aloysius Bertrand's uh, pieces of the same title, for po- poems of the same title. Uh, and then you have, of course, Debussy's Claire de Lune is inspired by uh, Verlaine's uh, Claire de Lune, and so on and so on. So, so it made sense, and I kept the original ones, the one that were already. I didn't try to curate my own poetry on top. I kept them, as it, and because I've discussed these poems many times with my grandfather, and I think part of the reason why he loved this repertoire is because it was very often linked to poetry of mm. po- poets that he admired. And then what I did is I just. Um, I finished it. I just uh, completed it. Uh, the music uh, that was not officially inspired by poetry, and I, you know, I already knew so many of my grandfather's poems, and immediately they, some of them, jumped to my mind, and uh, also a few of the. Uh, a few of the other poets that we had uh, discussed before and that I knew would also be a, a good fit. And then for the rest, I did a little bit of research. Um, one thing that was very useful is that my grandfather actually edited volumes of anthologies of poetry going from one century after the other of poets that he loved and poems that he loved. So that was very obviously a very useful uh, research uh, thing for me. The um, the Poulenc piece, the Soirée de Nazelle, it's got this lovely story of, I think he's sort of some kind of social get-togethers where he's improvising at the piano and he's making these portraits of his friends. Um, and then later, I guess, he thought, oh, that was quite nice, and then tries to recreate it as best he can in a, a piece that's actually written down. It reminded me a little bit of the Elgar Enigma variations where they're all, this is a portrait of my friends, and they've got those little initials at the start of each thing, and we can work out who was in each piece. Is that also true of the Poulenc? Because the thing about if you're trying to immortalise somebody through art, it doesn't work if then posterity forgets who they were. Do we so, know who these people were? No, so we, we do not. And uh, mm. we don't even know if each piece is based on on a friend on a present on a friend that was present uh, so it might not uh, be as simple as that it might not it be might not be as simple as that because the mm. way he describes it is he has this lovely lovely description at the beginning of the score where he says imagine a country house in the summer mm. the window open onto the garden a group of friends around a piano a uh, nice wine and uh, playing portraits and what his friends would do what you imagine is they would say um, try to convey this in music, and they would make it trickier and trickier for him. Uh, and so, oh, it's get... almost like almost like those games you play where you've kind of got to, you know, you're acting something out, and people deliberately try and make it 
exactly and in different yeah, yeah, in yeah. different characters so say the same yeah, thing now say yeah. it in a shy yeah, yeah. way now say it in a yeah and and they are astonishing titles i mean you have the the height of distinction how to convey that in music yeah. uh they're they very very tricky and and yet in 10 seconds you're there it's astonishing mm-hmm. uh, absolutely astonishing and it's it's so there's a sarcasm to its humor uh it's Typical of, of Poulenc, a nostalgia as well, a charm. Uh, it's mm. it's really a, a hidden gem, this piece. That's interesting. It, it almost sounds more like doing impressions of something than like actual thumbnail sketches of specific people. Yes, yes. I yeah. think that's yeah, yeah. that's the approach. And then, of course, the, the great thing about them is as a structure, this is quite a large piece. Uh, it's I would say it's probably around uh, just under 20 minutes and as a structure it holds completely uh, and and you get a sense a little bit like Schumann's Kinderzinnen you get a sense uh, that you've uh, there's something nearly metaphysical about them that uh, towards the end uh, there's something of of more to do with memories and nostalgia, mm, yeah. and something yeah. that's uh, that's uh, that's gone, you know, and yeah. and yeah. Uh, like like a, a vapor in the air, and you try to remember something. Yeah. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Um, the Poulenc is maybe not that often performed. Uh, whereas, by contrast, the Debussy Claire de Lune from the Sweet Belga Masque is, I guess, probably his most frequently performed piece. I mean, maybe the arabesques, but it's definitely up there. Um, so when you come to play something like this that you must have heard and played a million times, how do you do that? Do you try and forget everything that's gone before and start from a complete blank canvas? Is that even possible? So I actually try to have that approach no matter what I play, whether yeah. I'm playing Beethoven's Emperor Concerto or the Poulenc Les Soirées de Nazelle, uh, I, it's very important to try to get into a zone where if you open the score of something, your first goal should be to start from scratch as an interpreter mm. and, and get rid of the weight on your shoulder pianistic tradition and of course it, that's much easier to do in the case of a piece that's barely played um, but the process is the same and you just don't take anything for granted anything you've been told anything you question everything I think the more you're, you cultivate your curiosity you know and, and dig deep and look things for yourself and see what you decide resonates with you. And the, the main idea for me is always to enter a sort of symbiosis with the composer. Mm-hmm. So just to take the basis of the score, because the initial act of composition, what is it? It's you have a thought in your mind and you transcribe that into an imperfect language, right? Symbols on paper. It's, it's not an accurate way you couldn't possibly replicate the original thought, the original idea. If you have like a simple marking, like a forte marking, which means loud, right? What kind of loud is it? Are you ecstatically happy, overjoyed? 
Are you desperate? Are you angry? Are you? And you can do that about anything in music, an accent um, or, or staccato, short notes. How short are they? What kind of staccato? It's not just a binary thing. If Mozart writes staccato, you have no idea what kind of staccato he played, he wanted. So you have to, your goal as interpreter is to try to do the opposite process, to know enough about the composer's music to go back, try to go back to the original thought. But of course, it's going to be different because it's going to, you are going to make it come to life, right? So that's the idea. And the more you know, I try to know as much as I can about the composer, the entire output, because then you can make better educated decisions. Uh, if, if you have knowledge of their, especially if you play something like Debussy's Claire de Lune, for example, and you don't know his orchestral works, mm, uh, it's yeah. going to be very tricky. Yeah. You, you have to know, it's, this is an orchestral piece on the piano, you have to know what he liked. He was a master orchestrator, probably one of the greatest. Um, and you have to know the textures and the combination of instruments he enjoyed. And you have to hear these sounds on the piano. And when you do, when, when you think like that, it's kind of, it's obvious what he's trying to uh, create at the piano. Um, yeah, so that, that's my approach. And, and whether it's a famous piece or not, uh, it doesn't change anything to me. Hmm. Um, so almost, almost the opposite end of the spectrum. A lot of pianists have, have played, or at least attempted to play, the Debussy. Whereas the Ravel Gaspard La Nuit is one of those pieces, there's that one by Balakirov as well, that have that reputation of just being impossibly difficult to play just technically so so demanding and hardly anybody even dares to try um when you come to prepare something like that how different is it with i guess technically and maybe psychologically as well when it's just you know just such a more intimidating piece um than some of the other ones so the first thing to do is not to think in the way you described. <laughs> because if you put that... Yeah, sort of mind that, games, I suppose, isn't it? Yes. If you put that weight on yourself, you're going at it with a huge disadvantage. Um, it's like anything we do in life under pressure. The more we can get rid of that pressure, the better we will perform. Um, and it's... You know, of course, yes, the Gaspar Lannoy is extremely uh, difficult technically, but I guess one uh, one thing I try to do always is never dissociate the technical aspect from the musical aspect. So mm. technique for me, with a capital T, is a very broad thing. It encompasses anything that's physical at the instrument, from having a beautiful sound, legato, to what a lot more people would consider to be technique when they say that word, just playing, probably they mean playing fast, right, at the piano. Mm. Um, and so, I, to me, technique is at the service of music, right? It's, it's uh, allowing your imagination to take flight and do whatever it wants to do. Whatever you think the music needs, you can do it uh, without limitation. If you think, but, it, it, but it's, not, it's not the end Right? It's not the goal. It's not to show off, or it's not. Um, it's like having a tongue to to say things, to have thoughts. But if you don't have any thoughts, there is no point to be able to speak. Uh, and likewise, if you have the greatest thoughts in your head and you can't write and you can't speak, 
and it's very very hard and frustrating so that's the rapport I have and so the, the difficulty of it uh, a, a lot of the difficulty is solved if you come at it with a musical approach if you ask yourself first what do I want to do with this rather than how do I play this um, and then it also comes with experience uh, the more you perform a piece the easier it gets and in many ways you have never you can never say you've learned a piece until you've had what we call the baptism of fire right you, you have to play it live in front of an audience and play it again and play it again and this is how really you get to another level with their work um, and so now for me Gaspard de la Nuit I've, I, it's grown with me many years and I've performed it a lot and it's actually I'm in a place with it where I I can just kind of sit back and enjoy it I I, I just ask myself what I want to do with it and, and I try to bring in Ondine I try to bring this water nymph to life and in the, the you know this sensuous uh, watery creature that comes and seduces the master of the castle, and in Le Gibet I try to um, have this macabre vision of of uh, this hangman and the the bell, this constant bell tolling in the distance, and then with Scarbo, this frightening creature that comes and haunts its victim. If you can just focus on that uh, and the horror of that, and and the colors of that rather than just the physical aspect, then that will solve a lot of problems for you. Um, Emmanuel, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this is, again, for um, for listeners, this is Après un rêve. This is Emmanuel's lovely new album of French piano music from the Belle Epoque, um, centered on the idea of nighttime, evening time, things like that, and with the interwoven poetry that you've you've inherited from your, your grandfather and it's out today and it is absolutely marvelous and everyone should go and listen to it thank you very much thank you so much thank you